Welcome to episode 39 of the Rocking Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Wilk, and today I'm joined by... Peace. I've been the drummer, producer, and songwriter for many groups, and uh, including I started with Vanilla Fudge and Cactus and Beck Bogut and the Peace. That's me. Um, Rod Stewart, Ted Nugent, Ozzy Osbourne, Pink Floyd, Paul Stanley. The well, list goes on. Many of this. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, so your first major music project was with Vanilla Fudge. Uh, so how do you think that band uh, prepared you for all that was to come in your career? Well, it, it just introduced me to the business, you know, and mm-hmm. I don't think it really prepared me. It, it got me, you know, like this is the business and, and it wasn't really that much of a business yet in those right. days. You know, it was all fun. You know, mm-hmm. and we broke Vanilla Fudge up to do a super group at the time with me, Tim Bogart, Rod Stewart, and Jeff Beck. But then Rod didn't want to work with Jeff. And then uh, we were going to start with Jeff. And then it was going to be called Cactus. Jeff got in a car wreck. So he was out 18 months. And we didn't want to wait 18 months. So we continued right. with different guys in Cactus. And it did pretty good around the world. You know, we traveled to Europe. We traveled to in those days, you didn't travel much to Japan and, and you know, South America and stuff like that. But you go to Canada, America, maybe Mexico, and all over Europe. So we did all that. And we, we drew three or 4,000 people everywhere we went, which was great. Yeah. And then uh, and eventually, uh, Jeff Beck asked us if we would want to play with him again, and we did. And that ended up being Beck, Bogart, and the Peace, which is... And we did a Japanese tour and Europe tour and American tours in Canada. So now we're spreading out more, you know? Yeah. And then uh, after that was pretty much Rod Stewart. And Rod Stewart was like all over the place. We played Australia, New Zealand, Canada, um, all over Europe, all over Scandinavia. And that was a, you know, more of a world tour, you know? Yeah. And, and I co-wrote The Thing I'm Sexy, which was Rod's biggest hit. Yeah. And I went to number one all over the place. And then I wrote after that, I co-wrote uh, Young Turks with him. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty big hit, too. And, and I was with Rod for seven years. And then and, you know, we parted and I went with Ted Nugent. Mm-hmm. And with Ted, we did uh, a little more harder music. And we toured all around uh, America with that one. And then uh, then I did Ozzy, which was started in Europe. Yeah. And we did uh, all over Europe, and then we did an American tour. Before Sharon fired me, <laughs> told me my name was too big, I need to start my own band. And I started a group called King Cobra, mm-hmm. which uh, did pretty well as well. You know, I got a yeah. big record deal and big publishing deal and merch deal. And and we, we got the soundtrack for the Iron Eagle movie. Um, we did a video with Lou Gossett, and, you know, he was in the movie, and... Uh, it was all, all good, you know, and mm-hmm. and then after that was Blue Murder, which was with John Sykes and Tony Franklin, and that went really big, but yeah. the record sales weren't that big, and then that broke up, and I played with Edgar Winter, and then then I started uh, my um, Guitar Zeus project, which had all the great guitar players on it. So, I mean, so Vanilla Fudge prepared me to keep moving on to different projects, as I still do today, yeah. you know, because... Uh, you know, one time Robert Plant told me he envied my career because 
you know, I didn't believe him when he was telling me. He said, yeah, you played with Fudge and Cactus and BBA and, and Ted Nugent. He went on to my history. And mm -hmm. I said, wow, I didn't realize in my head. He said, all I do is play Led Zeppelin so at the time. This yeah. was like 2003 or four, whatever it was. He said, I just got to, you know, I don't get to do that. I played Led Zeppelin for 30 years. He said, I'm sick of it. And he said, well, your career was great. You got to play all these different things. Right. That's him. Yeah, that's great. But look at your bank account. Look at mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> so, and now he's been doing a lot of different things, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, so you worked with Ozzy on Bark at the Moon. What exactly, how exactly were you involved in that project? Well, I was actually associate producer on that problem project. Okay. They brought me in because they didn't like the way Tommy Aldridge's drum sounded. So they brought me in to help the drum sound and to work with Ozzy to finish the vocals and then go on to England and do the video, which I did. And then I did the tour in Europe, you know. So so once I got canned from the, show, from the gig, they took my name off the album as associate producer and everything that went along with it. Yeah. So I think for the first 500,000 albums, you'll see my name on as associate producer. Wow. So that's a rarity if someone has that in the collection. Yeah, that's too bad, you know, because I, I really wanted to get going with Ozzy for the next record and help co-write songs. And and uh, my good buddy Bob Daisley was in the band. He's a great songwriter. I think we're going to have yeah. a great time. And we gave Ozzy a killer drum sound, mm -hmm. you know, what she was looking for. Right. And, uh, but his wife uh, took precedence over whatever Ozzy wanted, you know. Yeah. Do you still keep in touch with Ozzy? I'm guessing you definitely no, don't keep in touch with Sharon. <laughs> I haven't talked to Sharon since that day. Wow. Ozzy, I saw her a couple of times, and when she saw me talking to him, she made sure he got away. Wow. But there was times when we were rehearsing with King Cobra, and he was looking for a drummer, actually, at this rehearsal place called Mates in L.A. And uh, I was, I had bought a mo mobile home, motor home, and a truck and I mean, everything was white. And we were painting the mobile home white. I was putting this, like, uh, covering over the windows. And Ozzy came over and he said something like, hey, Carl, I know I know you and my missus don't get along, but I hope we can still be friends. I said, yeah, I know it's not you, Ozzy. So then he started helping me put the tape on the windows, you know. Oh, that's such a nice memory. Yeah, and then uh, I invited him into the, into the studio to see my King Cobra band do what we were going out to do, uh, you know. And, Mm -hmm. Opening up for different people, and yeah. we opened up for Kiss and everything. So, um, okay, he was one of the first people to see the show before it went out. That's but he's a nice guy, but you know, unfortunately, she controls his life. You know. Um. So and I was watching. And there's a lot of musicians like that now. Oh yeah, big time. It's terrible with the wives and the managers, and yeah, the careers aren't exploding because of that. Yeah. Um, and so I was watching uh, another interview you did recently, and you talked about how the Bullet Boys took songs from King Cobra. Can you uh, yeah, talk about they that? Did. They did. But Eleven Money, and I think uh, I think there's parts of this main song. I'm not sure about that, you know. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, three of the guys were, well, two of them, was it three? The three of the guys that were in King Cobra just got a drummer and got a deal as the Bullet Boys. Mm -hmm. you know, my song Kissing Kitty was one of them. For the Love of Money was my idea. We started doing it with King Cobra and a couple other songs. So, you know, I was really mad at that. But then in the end, they gave me a gold record with my name on it for the, for the 
for the help, they said, for yeah. the help of getting the little boy started. So, I mean, I've, I've been lucky in my career to bring up new people in that had done well in their career, you know, like right yeah. now. Uh, there's a guy I work with named Fernando Perdomo, which is an instrumental album. We did one already. We did a new one, and I turned him on to Cleopatra Records. And now he's a producer, you know, multi-instrumentalist. Now Cleopatra Records hired him to do their – they always they got started by doing tribute albums. Mm -hmm. and so he just hired him to do some tribute albums, which is going to, you know, bring his image up a bit. And For sure. And uh, – so, like, since he's been working with me, he's getting more known. Yeah. You know, You've definitely got got the years. ear for talent. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been lucky that mm -hmm. I have the ear for talent, and they've gone on well. Some of them didn't. Yeah. Know? But, uh, like, Kelly How Keeling, the industry goes. Yeah, Kelly Keeling with my guitars is. He's mm -hmm. a major, a major uh, songwriter and singer. You know, when we did all that, he started getting a good name going. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's good. It's a good feeling to know that I'm bringing people in that are helping their careers. And, yeah, you know. definitely. Um, so you basically pioneered the instructional uh, drum book, uh, yeah. which was released in 1995. Is that correct? No, 1972. Oh, 1972. Wow. Okay. Before um, you were born. Long before I was born. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so what gave you the idea to do that? Well, I well, I was always a, a schooled drummer. I went to all the major drum books, mm -hmm. and um, another drum company uh, who I was with was always trying to get me to do drum clinics because mm -hmm. at the time they did drum clinics, but mostly it was jazz guys and you know, rock guys right. didn't do drum clinics. So I didn't do them with Vanilla Fudge. I was too much of a rock star, you know. <laughs> and we were on the Ed Sullivan Show, all the TV shows, and everything. So. Then one day I walked into Sam Ash Music Stores and I was looking through the books. And those days, 1972, everyone had long hair and beard. I've always had this thing. You might have had a little beard, long, long hair, you know. And, and we wore hippie clothes. And I saw this drum book that said, learn to play rock rock drumming. And there's a guy like this. <laughs> with his hair combed back with a dip like Elvis Presley, mm -hmm. wearing all these played out clothes. And I said, who is this? And I looked through it, and it was just a mathematical book on how to play every every kind of drum beat, rock beat you can imagine. But none yeah. of it was none of it was like something that you can use in a band. I said, you know what? I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write it so you go through my book, you can go play with a band. Yeah. So I, so I wrote the book. It was a book called a, a Jim Chapin Independence Book. They wrote it on three lines, not five lines. Music staff, if you know yeah. anything about music. Yeah. Three lines. You had snare drum, bass drum, and hi-hat, and, and or cymbal. And that way, everything was clean and clear. And I wrote it. I released it on um, Big Three Universe, uh, the United Artists label. My lawyer at the time got me in advance of $500 back in 1972. That's probably equivalent to five grand today. Right. He said, but the good thing is you own the copyright. I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> you know, back in those days. So I wrote it. We released it in the first year, did 3,000 copies. And my good buddies, Joe Morello and a couple other jazz guys said, that is amazing. You know, mm -hmm. and Ludwig hit me again. Why don't you do clinics you know, to go with the book? <clears throat> You'll sell books. I said, okay. My first clinic was for Sam Ash in Long Island. I did almost 1,000 people at the clinic. Wow. That was the first 
rock musician, not just drummer, uh -huh. musician period in the world to do a rock drum clinic. Wow, that's amazing. Took, and then I took it from there. And now the book is over 500,000 copies. And I've done thousands and thousands of drum clinics mm -hmm. all around the world, you know, for in Japan, yeah. in Australia, New Zealand, uh, you know, Switzerland, uh, you know, the, all the Scandinavian countries, all through Europe, Russia, I mean, mm -hmm. everywhere, South America, yeah. uh, Central America, I've done them everywhere. Mm -hmm. So now I'm doing this new thing called the Carmenopies Diaries, which is I'm telling stories of my career. Yeah. And I feel very at ease doing it because I've done so many clinics. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I got to the point where clinics, I'm doing the same thing with the diaries, where I would come in and I I do a little solo. I get people going, you know. And right. I, say, I can do whatever I want to teach you, but I want to know what you want me to teach you as an right. artist. I said, so raise your hand. Let me know what you want want me to teach you. And they would raise their hand and say, I want to know what blah, blah, blah is. I said, okay. And I teach them that. Raise mm -hmm. another hand. So I said, I'm going to use that same concept for my diary show. I have a list. I have an intro. And he ends up with a big list on the screen with 20 stories. I go, I can tell you stories you don't want to hear. So why don't you tell me what you want to hear? Here's the stories. Pick the ones you want to hear. And they would raise their hand. Yeah. And, and that way, every night is different. Mm -hmm. you know? And every night, I get to ad lib on the stories. I don't do the same things. Right. I tell jokes. I make people laugh. Mm -hmm. so they, I have a question. I say, sorry, I don't take questions. You know, mm -hmm. I make, make them laugh. Then they'll get, ask me the question. But mm -hmm. it, it reminds me the same way I did clinics. Right. I'm really at ease at talking. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't like talking. I get nervous talking in front of an audience. Mm -hmm. I'm so at ease talking in front of an audience because I did so many clinics. Right. So I've incorporated that in my commented piece diaries. And I'm not looking to do big theaters. I'm looking to do like intimate places, like 150 people, yeah. maybe 200 people. And afterwards sign autographs and sell merch. And, and you know, just repay my audience. Yeah, me for you know, all this time. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's really nice. How did you hear about me? You're so young. Me? Well, I'm like in the rock scene. Like I grew up listening to rock music, so I'm kind of just very absorbed in the scene. So of course, I've heard your name a million times. <laughs> okay. Great. Thank you. Um, yeah, of course. Um, so back in 2017, you and your brother Vinny released an album together. Uh, so are you two? working together on any more music at the moment? And if not, do you foresee well, any more collaboration? We're not, we're not at the moment because I'm real busy and he's real busy. Right. And we, and we did that because we would go out as the Peace Brothers. First we went out as drum wars and then everybody thought it was a drum clinic and it wasn't. So we went out as the Peace Brothers drum wars show. But mm -hmm. we really, it really was us playing all the hits from our both careers. Which yeah. is good. I, you know, I got to play stand up and shout with him and he got to play like blue murder songs with me. And it was a lot of fun working with my brother, you know? So yeah. we said, let's do an album. So we did an album. Uh, uh, I forgot who got us a deal. We got the deal and we went to America and we went to Europe and getting great reaction. Then I had a uh, health thing happen at the end of the tour, which um, because of that, I, I don't go to Europe anymore. I just work in America. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, 
so after that, we, we kind of just did a bunch of gigs and we never did another album because we, we decided that, you know, you do an album today, not a lot of people hear it anymore. Right. Not on the radio. Mm -hmm. how many, and especially how many physical gigs. copies aren't getting sold yeah. anymore. Really. And you get how many views you get on YouTube. Well, mm -hmm. myself, you know, I don't sit down and look at YouTube like a lot of people. What new right. groups do you like? I said, I tell you, I don't even know any new groups because I don't have the time to sit down and look through YouTube. I don't even know right. how to look up new groups on YouTube. You know, I used to go on the radio, you know, even like the serious radio. They don't play a lot of new stuff. Right. Yeah. You know, so. Which doesn't help keep the music alive. It doesn't help, help new music. I just did a new King Cobra record, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it's being the videos being made and the the album is being printed in uh, vinyl, which takes eight months now. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. crazy. You finish an album in September, you don't release it till June. Mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, and the two original guitar players said, "I don't want Mick, Mick Swader and Dave M Michael Filson said, why bother? It takes a lot of work. You get paid almost no money, and then it comes out and nobody hears it." Right. I doing it. I said, "Well, look, you just keep the legacy going. You know, even you know, even if a, you know, not a lot of people hear it, there are going to be some thousands of people are going to hear it. Mm -hmm. you know, keep the legacy going." So they said they didn't want to do it. So I brought in in 2010. Uh, Paul Shaw, Tino's been singing for us. Mm -hmm. So we brought in Carlos Cavazo from Quiet Riot. Yeah. We brought in. Uh, um, I was. I just went blank on his name. Rowan Robinson from uh, Dio. Mm -hmm. Two new guitar players, and they did a great job. But you know, they got yeah. paid some money. But me and Paul were like the ones producing it. I probably made five cents an hour. Yeah, and Paul too. You know, by mm -hmm. the time we finished it, you know, we ended up making, you know, some money. But you know, when it boils down to the time we put into it, it was, it was terrible. Right. But we did it for the love of music. You know, and you gotta uh, we're doing uh, the instrumental album. I'm doing really five cents an hour. Mm -hmm. and I, think, I think it could be very successful because yeah. we, did, we did a new version, a heavy rock version, and we're doing a video of that Kate Bush song. Running mm -hmm. up the oh, nice. Stranger, Day, Stranger Things. And we, we cut one video that we didn't like, so we're redoing the video, and it's going to have the Stranger Things vibe to it. Yeah, um, that's so cool. And we're going to release that next year. And hopefully with, with Cleopatra, they'll put a, an actual plan together to try and get it on some rock radio. Yeah. It really is cool, you know? It really is cool. Yeah, it's definitely it's really unique. And it's <laughs> instrumental. There's no vocals on it. Yeah. So it's, it's funny. I was getting my hair cut the other day, and I was in a regular salon, and I was telling my hairdresser about it. She goes, oh, yeah, I, I watched that show. I said, listen to the song. So when I put it on instrumentally, there's three other hairdressers started singing the song. <laughs> yeah, they recognize it, so that was a good sign, you know, mm -hmm. for sure. So, so we're doing that, but you know, it's like in making the record. I mean, you know, we didn't make nothing really, you know. Now I'm doing a new cactus record with. It's called Cactus Friends and Influences about people that were influenced by cactus and friends of our of cactus. Yeah, so I got great people on it. You know, I got Billy Sheehan on it. I got Joe Bonamassa on it. I got. Um, yeah. Manuel, uh, Warren Haynes, and and his, their bass player, and uh, uh, Richie Cotson's going to be on it, and uh, uh, Doug Pinnock from uh, King's X, and Ty Tabor from King's X, and just 
an array of people. But by yeah. the time I'm done with this album, I'll probably make 10 cents an album, you know? Yeah. But it's just a matter of keeping the legacy going and keeping the music going mm-hmm. and, you know, and keeping me going, you know? It's For like, sure. You know, and I get to play. I go out and play with Fudge. I get to play with King Cobra. I get to play with Cactus. You mm-hmm. know, I do the stories thing. And, you know, right. and I'm working on a Rod Experience show, which is mm-hmm. like a tribute act, a celebration yeah. of my music I wrote with Rod. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it, it would, excuse me, with me in it, it doesn't make it like a tribute act. It right. A celebration of the music we play together. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So, so this year I'm hoping to play a little bit with everybody. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll do 50, 60 shows a year. Yeah. That's all I want to do. I don't want to go on tours for two months. Yeah. I'm in my own plane. That makes sense. You've been doing carry, that for so long. Yeah, <laughs> and so I'm in my own plane. I carry a doctor and a masseuse. Yeah. Yeah. Which nobody's doing now except Molly days, The old days we were talking about the drugs we took and the groupies. Now we talk about the drugs we take to stay healthy and and bring in a doctor with us, you know? Carrot juice. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? But look, I'm knocking wood. I'm lucky I'm still here. Mm -hmm. I'm still playing. I'm I'm, I'm basically healthy and Mm -hmm. I want to play until I can't play no more. Yeah. Love that. It's a great attitude to have. Yeah. Um, so over your career, you've gotten to play with so many legendary musicians from Jeff Beck to Paul Stanley to Rod Stewart. The list goes on as we've established, but what goals remain for you? And is there any particular uh, musician that you're itching to work with that you haven't gotten to work with yet? Well, um, let me just tell you something. In the backyard is like the wild kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there's one iguana chasing another one. I think the, the the big one's trying to have sex with the other one, and they're running all over the, the yard. It's amazing. But I don't know, you know, I mean, I played with Joe Bonamassa. I would have liked to have a band with him, but I played with him, with Tim Bogart, years ago before he got really big. Mm-hmm. And he's playing with us on this album. So I would have said Joe Bonamassa, but we've achieved that. Um I, I don't know. I would have liked to play with Led Zeppelin with the original band. Yeah. You know? Because, you know, John Bonham was my, my friend. And, you know, I, I was told by him that I was his mentor. And I helped him with his style, you know, from my style. I helped him get a Ludwig endorsement. You know, I would have liked to play with Led Zeppelin. I would like to play with Rod again. And we have a new yeah. Jeff Beck BBA record coming out next year, too. It's BBA Live at the London Rainbow in 1974. So in essence, I'm playing with that again. Yeah. So, you know, I just like to do what I'm, what the things I'm doing, the storytelling stuff and mm-hmm. playing with the Rod Experience, playing with Cactus King Cobra. You know, I mean, let me uh, let me rephrase that. I would like to play with Blue Murder. Yeah. Okay. Blue Murder was one of my favorite groups. And it never really did what it was supposed to do. Yeah. And grunge came in and kind of destroyed the whole thing with Blue Murder. Mm-hmm. And, and John Sykes doesn't play anymore. Right. And what Tony told me, he just doesn't like the way the business is. Like mm-hmm. we talked about, you know, you release right. stuff and nobody hears it. And mm-hmm. so he's just, he's just been not playing. He released one song a year and a half, two years ago. Yeah. And nobody ever heard it. And I heard it. I liked it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, He's out of touch with everybody. 
Right. And uh, I would have liked to do a new Blue Murder album or yeah. a Blue Murder tour. We can, you know, we have two albums we can draw from and everybody loves it. Everywhere I go, people go, when are you going to get together with Blue Murder? Yeah, not people want to see it. Not Cactus. Mm -hmm. Blue Murder. I yeah. mean, Blue Murder, if it gets together, would do really well in the climate today. For sure. But I don't know if that's ever going to happen. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I was reading that Drummer Magazine UK uh, called you the creator of heavy rock drumming as we know it. Uh, so how does it feel to be given such a prestigious title like that? Well, I mean, it's great. But, you know, when we were doing it, we weren't seeing, sitting down going, I'm going to create something new. Right. You know, it came out of necessity. There were no PAs with monitors. Mm -hmm. Hardly PAs. That's why I got big drums. Because right. Big drums are louder. And when you get big drums, you got to hit them harder. Yeah. So between those two things made me heavy, loud, and big sounding. Yeah. So because of that, people like John Bonham, Ian Pace, all the people that, you know, that have said in interviews that I was their inspiration. Mm -hmm. you know, made me the forerunner of it. Like like people say, who's better, you or your brother? You know, I said, well, <laughs> I'm the original. Yeah. <laughs> and so basically, I'm the original power powerhouse drummer because I came up in the 1960s where there wasn't such right. a thing. Mm -hmm. you know, if you look at the guys that came up with me, Ginger Baker, he's a great drummer. He didn't hit hard. Mm -hmm. Mitchell, Jimi Hendrix, great drummer. He didn't hit hard. Mm -hmm. uh, Keith Moon, really crazy drummer, trend-setting drummer, but mm -hmm. he didn't hard either. He hit right. like tiki 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 tiki, but like he played a lot, but he didn't hit hard. You know, if you watch me on the Ed Sullivan show, I'm killing the drums. Mm -hmm. I'm like really killing the drum set. Right. And from then on, I was killing the drums because you had to. You had big amps, and you had no other way but to really beat the crap out of your drums. I used to break everything. <laughs> on the drums before I went with Ludwig and then with Ludwig we used to you know work with them to make the drums stronger so people right. that were beating the drums wouldn't break the drums yeah drum heads too cymbals everything I worked with all the companies but I was like one of the original guys to do that yeah that's amazing and I'm not being egotistical about it I'm just being honest you know yeah yeah for sure uh so after uh, having so much success throughout your career and so many stories, obviously. Um, is there anything that you feel like you regret? Yeah, I regret marrying my, my wife in L.A. Because <laughs> when we got divorced, she got half of everything. Wow. That's one of my biggest regrets in my life. There you go. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, that's good that that's it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I I regret not, I regret releasing that second Vanilla Fudge album. That was horrible. You know, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't an album of music. If you ever go, you go on YouTube and you play, you see what I'm talking about. It was stupid. It was supposed to be the beat goes on, music goes on through wars and everything else. But there was no music. Our first album was a trend-setting, you know, progressive album, which all we had to do was the same thing. And the Ahmed Erdogan, who owned Atlantic Records, and Shadow Martin, our producer, said, we got to do this. We can get a show to go along with it. It was amazing. It wasn't amazing. I mean, 
That's why one of my stories, it says, why is Hitler on my album? You know, you got Hitler. One speaker going, Sieg Heil and Black Power. You know, yeah. music. You know, that's not music. Mm -hmm. You only had one song on it. Uh, Fleur de Lis and uh, uh, there's another classical symphony thing that we rearranged. That was the best thing on it. Mm -hmm. It was only five minutes, eight minutes. The rest of it was all BS. Yeah. It was terrible. Had we done an album of, like we had Season of the Witch, we had like a Rolling Stone, we had another few songs mm -hmm. already in the can, did the same thing. Our second album would have went up the charts, mm -hmm. like our first album did, like everybody yeah. else did, you know, from Jimi Hendrix to Cream, you know, yeah. uh, The Doors, everybody around those times that had the big first album, they did the second album the same, right up to the top 10. But not us, you know. Yeah. We, we lost all the fans. Mm -hmm. Got to release a third album quick, but we never really caught all the fans back. You know, yeah. all the bands that were big as we were at the time released a second big album. They went on to get status of like Madison Square Garden, and we never did. Right. You know, so that's a big regret. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what do you wish to see the future of rock and roll look like? Uh, and what do you wish happened more in the music industry these days? We get back to radio. Yeah. Not just YouTube and all this internet crapola. Mm -hmm. That's what killed that's what killed the music business. You know, Spotify? Ridiculous. Everybody mm -hmm. listens to Spotify instead of buying records now. Yeah, you know how you know how much a musician makes on Spotify. The whole band, if you download my song, you know how much we make. Pennies. Point no, point zero zero zero. So that means it takes four thousand downloads. Is that zero 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 four? Yeah, four thousand downloads to make a penny. Insane. Is that ridiculous? Mm -hmm. if we're That's why, you, as if a young person, I keep the physical copy alive. This is my collection. There you go. That's it's great. And if you look, I, I heard another thing. It was point zero zero three. And that was that was a uh, three hundred to make a penny. Mm -hmm. You know, so yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, uh, I don't even have Spotify. I will not support it. Mm -hmm. I will never listen to it. The other day, I was looking at the TV. I was trying to get Paramount Plus and. And instead, I got Spotify on the TV. I immediately erased it. Yeah. I will not support Spotify. I will not ever listen to Spotify. Mm -hmm. And that's what killed the music business. Yeah. It started with back in the day. And iTunes is okay. Mm -hmm. you, know, you download an iTunes song, you're buying it. Mm -hmm. you know, it's 99 cents or whatever. I don't know what it is now. But you get your publishing and you get a royalty. Right. You, know, you get eight, seven, eight cents for your publishing. And you get, you know, 50 cents for the song or 25 cents, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Much better than that other crap. Yeah. But, you know, the music business is, is is fried. There's nothing to it anymore. That's why everybody tours. Nobody's making records. Yeah. Making the only thing that's surviving is the, the live show. Yeah, that's it. You know, and merch. Mm -hmm. you know? And merch, right. I make more money in merch per year than I make on... Uh, most records. I mean, Vanilla Fudge still gets some good royalties. Uh, mm -hmm. And my stuff with Cleopatra gets okay royalties, you know. Mm -hmm. At least they're royalties. They're not like... Right. You know, but it includes that Spotify crap. We used to get we used to get a royalty statement. That was 
literally this big. See how big that is? Yeah. It's all Spotify crap. And what is it? An inch, two inches. Mm-hmm. Now we went paperless, you know? And yeah. now you go on and it's like 500 pages mm-hmm. all Spotify crap, you know, to make 500 pages make you $100. Mm-hmm. You know? It's a yeah. joke. It's a joke. So oh. I'm lucky that I came up when I did, when I was able to make money. I got gold records, platinum records, and gold singles, platinum singles. I don't even know if you get a gold single, a platinum single, or a gold yeah. record today. You know? I mean, now it's probably all based on streams, I would imagine, because nobody's yeah, selling what, that many what, physical what is copies. It, 100, 150 million streams, and you, and you yeah. get uh, a gold stream? What do you get? I don't know. You know? I don't know either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I haven't got one. I'm still waiting for my first uh, Grammy nomination. <laughs> There's I got a good chance. I got a good chance with the instrumental album because it's rock. Mm-hmm. And that's a very small category of rock instrumentals. Yeah, yeah. If we get if we get the single going, it'll be more visibility. So mm-hmm. that'd be nice. I mean, we came close with a Do You Think I'm Sexy Grammy nomination, but we didn't win. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that's about all I have. Thank you so much for your time. Is there anything else you'd like to include? No, I think you nailed all of it. And then I went on and thank you, <laughs> and and nailed probably any of your questions within right. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of the Rockin' Interviews podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode.